Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Almighty Podcast. This is Adam from Back Patio Network, and I got my good buddy Adkins here. Yep, Mike Adkins from NerdsOnEarth.com, and we are anxious to be talking about these episodes because they continue to feature Stain, and Stain is awesome. He's definitely been my favorite villain that we have met so far, hands down. Oh yeah, easily. I mean, he's entertaining. I think that he's intriguing with his philosophy, the whys, his motivations, and, th- and stuff like this. Um, I was a little worried about how they handled him come the end of episode 30, but things recover a bit, um, and we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting because I like the fact that he is not super whiny. Uh, I feel like Shigaraki and Kuragiri are kind of just like whiny, and Heroes, Hero Killer Stain is all about just getting it done, <laughs> and there's something about that I love. Yeah, he's he's a man of decisive action, that is for sure. For sure. So this week's we're covering, uh, what, episodes 30 and 31. Uh, let's just go ahead and jump into 30, man. We get this awesome flashback with Ida uh, as a kid, and he's talking to his older brother, Ingenium. Uh, do we have his, in, Ingenium's real name? Uh, Tensei. Yeah, that's right. T-E-N-S-E-I, Tensei. That's right, Tensei. Uh, so we've got him talking to Tensei, and you know, Tensei kind of is explaining to him uh, why he continues to be a hero or why he wants to be a hero. And he he mentions that he thinks it's the coolest thing when people um, are out there doing things for each other, you know. And I thought that was interesting because the whole philosophy behind Hero Killer Stain is wanting to get rid of these disingenuine heroes. So I'm kind of curious why why he chose Ingenium. Like from all we've been shown, Ingenium seems like he was a true hero. He had what, like 52 sidekicks, like yeah, it's leader- like 65 sidekicks. Yeah, like the guy seems like for from what we know, he seems like he was a pretty good hero. So why did Hero Killer Stain choose him? You know, I yeah, I wrestled with this question in part because Ida continues to defend his brother, of course, by saying things like he's a likable hero who honors the rules and leads people. And in this flashback, I thought that maybe, maybe a reason that Stain had targeted Ingenium or Ingenium was because of his answer to the question that Ida poses. So Ida's like, why do you continue to be a hero? Ingenium's response is, well, our grandfather and parents were all heroes, so I was expected to be a hero. And I thought, well, okay, so he's just doing it not out of, you know, a a responsibility to others so much as out of a familial duty, and maybe that's what Stain took issue with, but he continued talking, and he says what you were saying. It's simple. If someone sees a lost child, they take them to the nearest police station, and I think people like that are the coolest, which does give him this heroic bent. Um, so I'm not sure. I had in my notes that I wondered if Stain knows something about Ingenium that Ida doesn't, but we never get an answer to that, at least not a satisfying answer that I could that I could recall. Yeah, I mean, I, I just after everything that we've seen show like showcasing why Hero Killer Stain goes after people, there's nothing in my brain that's like, oh, well, that's why he chose Ingenium. I mean, you could argue that he chose Ida because obviously Ida walked up on the scene, didn't even pay attention to the other hero about to die. You know what I mean? Like he was just there for vengeance. So I get that. Um, and then obviously he loved Midoriya. Well, not love is a strong word, but he he saw Midoriya as like a real hero. So yeah. what, what was Ingenium lacking? That just kind of seems sort of weird to me. Uh, he, he sort of seems to fit the bill for like what I would consider a hero. So I don't know that I agree with uh, Hero Killer Stain on that one. Yeah, I mean, it was in the script, maybe. That's just what it was. It's like, yeah. how do we pull the kids into this? Or we target, you know, Ida's brother. Uh, you know, it, it does feel like an unexplained or at least maybe a poorly explained. Or it could just be that we're dumb and wrong. So yeah, that's true. one of those two things is true. That's one of the features of this podcast, though. That's right. It's not a bug. It's a feature. 
Right. So we left off uh, episode 29 with Ida. He's pretty much, you know, still pinned to the ground and Todoroki's telling him to stop whining and get up and be ingenium. Well, that's exactly what Ida does at the beginning of this. Uh, Hero Killer Stain's quirk starts to wear off. He gets up and he starts to kind of get back into the fight, but he has worn out his engines. It's uh, He actually mentions, uh, did I break the radiator with that kick? Like he kicks ingenium really hardly. Uh, and so I thought the he whole... He didn't I- kick ingenium, he kicks stain. Stain, I'm sorry. Yeah, he kicks stain really hard. Uh, And then he mentions his radiator being broke. So the idea that his legs have radiators in them blows my mind. Like, I I didn't think that they would be configured like a car. You know what I mean? It's kind of cool, though, that if he gets a calf cramp, he's got options. He could go to a mechanic or he could go to a doctor. Who knows? That's true, I guess. Or, you know, in this case, he just helps out. Or, you know, in this case, he just gets help from Todoroki. Uh, He has Todoroki freeze his legs without freezing the exhaust pipes, so then he's able to fight again. Like, I guess just kind of cool that radiator down and then jump back in. Yeah, and and there's some interesting dialogue flying between Ida and Stain. Stain, I don't think Stain believes Ida can reform, just based on this, I mean, the snap judgment on Ida. It kind of feels like Stain doesn't believe in second chances. Well, yeah, it's hard because he I think he straight up says in the dub like or in the subtitled rather that Stain Stain is just like I don't think Ida can I don't think you can reform. And this it felt like maybe this was a necessary flaw inside of Stain's philosophy that allows for his particular brand of execution, but at the same time everywhere he goes he only kills a few in the hopes that everyone else will reform. So he does believe in reform. Yeah, I mean, true. that's his that's his model. Well, maybe he but, believes in second chances at the, you know, not benefit of others, but at the um, at the expense of others. Yeah, I mean, I just he, he's definitely made up his mind about Ido. that that much is is plainly true. And this is when, like, they start name calling. Ida doesn't call Stain anything, but Todoroki calls Stain an anachronistic fundamentalist, which it's I mean, it's a Todoroki insult like it just feels like something Todoroki would say it's like Todoroki seems like the kind of guy that would tell someone to have the day they deserve you know what yeah. I mean? yeah <laughs> and what's what's interesting about this is a fundamentalist that that term is usually used to refer to somebody who like favors really strict or literal interpretations of religious texts and earlier in that scene that that flashback that hazy dream sequence thing with Ida and Ingenium or Tensei Tensei tells Ida you're a literal, like you're a literalist. Like he is called that by his own brother. So you start to see a little bit of overlap um, between Stain and Ida. Like there's this interesting, like Venn diagram crossover between the way that they see things and interpret things according to some of the people around them that that are watching how they work. Oh, huh, that's interesting. Like I, I don't think I picked up on that parallel there. Well, and then this is also at the same time Todoroki starts to notice that. With especially with Ida engaged in the fight, that Stain is growing a bit more desperate, and and he is like Stain is by design. I mean his his design implies this with that kind of ninja aesthetic um, that he's a stealth operator. Like this this habit of him utilizing alleyways to perform all of his kills backs this up as well. So he he does best in one on one applications, kind of like Aizawa um, was yeah. was accused of Midoriya, right? Right, yeah, he's definitely a like a rogue character compared to a tank, you know. Yeah, and but he so he he finds himself at risk against even just a handful of combatants, but at the same time, Todoroki notes that even when 
Stain is kind of cornered or outnumbered, and he's lost that advantage that he's still a very tenacious fighter. So in other words, Stain probably knows maybe not that he's necessarily outmatched because these are students. I mean, they're literally wearing UA uniforms, at least at least Todoroki was. Wasn't he? No, maybe he wasn't. Uh, they're, I think, they're I definitely think that's kids. his like outfit. Like I don't think Todoroki really has a uh, uh, like a hero costume. Okay. Midoriya and Ida were both in their actual like hero outfits. Yeah, definitely. Well, so they're definitely I, still kids. They're students. Yeah, yeah. They're and it, I think it's obvious they're students too. Yeah. Um, but I think it was the last episode uh, whenever Todoroki and Midoriya started facing off against Hero Killer Stain, he made a, a comment like, "Oh man, two versus one, it's going to be tough, but I can handle it." So with Ida getting in. I mean, that's three versus one, and you, you've got one guy with one quirk compared to three different quirks that are meant to work on three completely different planes. You know what I mean? Right. So, so I don't think that Stain feels like he's necessarily outmatched just because of Not outmatched, but just age. wary, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's lost his advantage, um, and his chances of succeeding at his goal of killing Native or possibly also Ida diminishes further and further with every second as the pros presumably close in, right? As right. He's worried that... You know, he might be able to take on two or three student uh, heroes, but if the pros show up in any kind of number, that he's he's in a real spot of trouble. Well, we end this scene right here where he is about to be in a real bad spot of trouble because we have uh, t- we've got Ida firing up to do what he calls full reciproco, full full recipro. Yep. And it looks like it's going to be just this awesome roundhouse power attack. Uh, and then, of course, we've got Midoriya over to the side who is doing what he has called a 100% one-for-all full cowling. So I guess he's channeling all of one-for-all instead of just the 5% that he has been doing. I didn't think he was using 100%, was he? Yeah, I think so, because uh, he makes a comment that he might have overdone it because he, he hurt his arm. Like, there's a, we hear his arm pop or something, and he's like, oh, no, I used, I used 100%. Did, did I hurt my arm, too? Hmm. But that's immediately after, because it, it kind of goes away for a second. We, we see Gran Torino, who is fighting a four-eyed Nomu, and Endeavor comes in, and the two of them are able to just completely kick this dude's butt, like, no problems at all. Uh, and then we get this kind of flashback where Endeavor is going on scene. Todoroki is telling Endeavor, like, hey, I just got a call. I got to go help my friend. Whenever you get done doing whatever, send as many pro heroes to this address as, as quick as you can. My friend is in danger. Um, and I, I like that scene a lot. Like, he's willing to totally blow off his dad and, you know, pretty much give him the, the bird and, like, run off and go help his friends instead of, you know, giving him the respect that he thinks he deserves. Yeah, and I think we... we- kind of glanced past really quickly this this pincer maneuver of Ida and Midoriya just rocking Stain. And there's this awesome freeze frame where the art style changes and it is straight up iPhone background worthy. I mean, oh, yeah, it is yeah. super impressive. It reminded me of like in fighting games, it was like everybody on that scene and Todoroki doesn't do it like right this second, but he will after that little Nomu and Endeavor and Gran Torino break. It's like everybody's popping their level two supers at the same time. Yeah, I think I think it like goes awesome. right back to this scene that you're describing after Endeavor and Gran Torino, and that's when we see those two hits connect for the, like the full cowling and the full recipro. It's awesome. You're right. It looks fantastic, and then Todoroki just freezes them like in midair and stains. Well, he blasts them with fire first too, doesn't he? Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, just which cooks it, them a little bit. It's one of those things where I'm like, okay, he got full on face blasted with like you know a couple of handfuls of fire. There's no way that <laughs> that he's gonna feel good after that. Yeah, but he he gets frozen, 
and they they managed to apparently had knocked Stain out, and they begin discussing restraining him. And I thought that this is a pretty interesting watershed moment for Ida because Ida is at this point he's kind of like sitting on his bum because he's he's taken some damage. He had he's knives in his arms. He had been stabbed down through his shoulder blade. In fact, at one point there's this scene where he uses his teeth and pulls yes. out a knife from his arm. Yeah. And it's the silliest looking thing ever because that knife had backward facing serrations. So <laughs> I, I it comes that. out with like no problem. And I was like, brother, there's no way you pull that out with your teeth. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's cooked, man. He's exhausted. And even though like Midoriya is battle worn and Todoroki is probably a little toasted himself, a little tired at least, they're standing there and they're talking about restraining Stain. And there's this, I don't remember if the camera zooms in, but it ends up being Ida being you know, the central focus of this scene. And you kind of are hearing Midoriya and Todoroki talk as Ida just kind of stares up, presumably up at Stain's frozen body. And, you know, for him, he's hearing these two friends of his talk about restraining the guy that he was in that alley to, to kill. Yeah. Um, But I think he's he's learned his lesson by now, you know? Oh, I mean, definitely. I mean, this is where that lesson, where the rubber meets the road of, of his new convictions, his new understandings based on, you know, what Todoroki was, was um, prodding him with. Yeah. But it's just a cool moment where as he's sitting there on the ground, looking at the, looking up at his, his arch nemesis pretty much and hearing his friends talk about restraint instead of, you know, killing them like, or killing him like he had set out to that, He's he's clearly kind of working that through and chewing on that for a bit in the background of the scene. I thought it was a cool moment. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they end up just tying him and I guess pulling off all of his swords and kind of lining him up. Uh, and this is when we we end up switching back over to the normal hero where he is fighting another Nomu. I called him the big brain Nomu because uh, he seemed to have like this just giant massive head that was a brain. And he's fighting along with some of the, I guess I'm going to call them street heroes again, because we don't really know who all of them are. But there were, what, five or six of them there, it seemed like? Yeah, half a dozen is a good guess. Yeah, and they're getting their butts handed to them. Like, they don't even have a a chance at all. And this Nomu shows up right behind one of the female heroes, and he's about to obliterate her when Endeavor shows up on scene. I mean, it's, it's crazy, because... I never expected to enjoy seeing Endeavor on on the screen. I just assumed we would always have him. Like, anytime Endeavor shows up, he's normally just being an awful dad. And in these episodes, he shows up as a hero, and he is so cool. Like, I loved every single second he was on screen, and that was so unexpected. Yeah, he rolls up on the scene to some pretty hype music in the background, goes toe-to-toe with this Nomu after he learns that it can regenerate, because he kind of, like, blasts him initially. And then he learns that he can regenerate. So he gets in closely and he fires this like blue flame from his hands and burns this thing's head off. But it's again, because it came from his hands, it's not that kind of blue flame. This isn't that kind of anime, but he, he has the, he even says something at the end that I thought was pretty awesome. He says, carbonized cells cannot regenerate. And that that was just straight up gangster. It was, it was, it was really epic. Like every time he shows up in this episode, I'm just like, he is so cool. Like no wonder no one suspects him of being the crappy dad of the year. You know what I mean? Yeah, Endeavor is straight up showing why he's the number two hero in these scenes, even if he's the world's worst dad. And this this gets us to a place of like weird cognitive dissonance because for this whole time, every encounter that we've had with Endeavor has put a poor taste in our mouth. 
And now he shows up on the scene and we're like drooling over watching him do hero's work. Yeah. And it's, it's awesome. Like there's this scene where he's trying to chase down the flying Nomu and he runs up the walls. Like I was about to mention that. Yeah. Every time he puts his foot down, it like melts the brick wall so that he can stand on it like lava. And then he throws a freaking fire spear through the Nomu's head and rescues the captive. Like it's, it's superhero. I mean, it is awesome. It's just epic. Like he's so good at being a hero. It's kind of neat too, that like the, the way that it's drawn and the way that it's presented, like we're being shown something that doesn't match with our filters. And this is kind of what that cognitive dissonance does. Like they don't present Endeavor as the jerk that we think he is in these scenes. They just present Endeavor at work. I mean, being a hero, doing the thing that, that gives him that number two hero rank. And it's, it's, it's a neat trick that they do that. They don't, they don't do anything in these scenes, nothing to make us dislike Endeavor. Like if this is how we met him, we would think that he was the coolest freaking hero that on the show, possibly. I mean, he's just baller. And I even mentioned to you off air that I thought it would be really neat if they had shown us this side of him first and then shown us the crappy side because like we we came into this episode with this predisposition of hating Endeavor. And so that that's kind of why we have mixed feelings. But if we saw this side of him first, we would love him. And then to know that there is like some other crazy stuff going on in the background, that would just break your heart. You know what I mean? It would have been a huge emotional tug, it feels like. So, Adam, curveball question. Okay, all right. Do you think... That Endeavor is a better or worse dad than Goku is. Ooh, I don't know. At least Endeavor wants his sons around, right? <laughs> like, I mean, think about this. How many times have there been scenes where, uh, like, Bulma, I think there's a scene where Bulma's giving birth to her daughter, and uh, Goku's like, Vegeta, let's go train. And he's like, dude, I'm not going anywhere. Like, my wife is about to give birth. We're not about to go train. You know, and Goten asks his dad, like, well, what was it like when I was, you know, born? And he goes, I don't know. I was dead. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, Endeavor specifically created Todoroki to to be this monument of, of pride. So I feel like I hate to say this, but Endeavor is probably a better dad than Goku. So I'm going to just devil's advocate for a second. Endeavor's interactions with Todoroki, I will grant you there's a lot more intentionality and interaction there than there is between Goku and any of his sons. But does that interaction, as opposed to Goku's just negligence and absence, does that really make him a better dad? Because he's actively a bad dad, Endeavor is. Goku is just like a clueless absentee father you know what i mean that's fair i don't know i mean goku did throw his son out at uh cell and then you know like killed cell entirely yeah yeah that's oh, pretty bad it, yeah if you're talking about like goku being actively a bad dad that's definitely yeah a moment where he's like <laughs> eat it son you know yeah, and here, like here cell eat the sensu bean i'll never forget that moment where like piccolo was like do you realize what you're doing and he just goes oh no <laughs> like yeah. he has that moment of realization <laughs> you know uh, so I don't know. That's a that is a good question. I would have to say, like I think ultimately Goku is a better dad, but I think that Endeavor has more dad awareness. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's let's do this. Let's make this like a question for our listeners. So like, ping us on Twitter. Just tag us on Twitter at all at Almighty Pod, and let us know who you think is the better dad and why. Is it Endeavor or is it Goku or or rather it, you could go either way you could say I think this person is the better dad or you can say I think this one is the worst we want to hear from you yeah absolutely in fact I may even create a poll whenever this episode drops so just check for the poll and uh, we'll go from there yeah 
that's an interesting question, man. I wasn't expecting that one. Yeah, I saved it for just on air. I wanted to catch you. I like catch it. you on, uh, on your toes here. I like it. So well, now everything is kind of resolved a little bit, and Midoriya is a bit jacked up from the fight. Um, like you said, he he possibly overexerted himself using the one for all. And well, we know his legs like messed up because he's like his uh, hero killer staying cut his leg. Yeah, um, but he also is inarguably he is in much better shape after this fight than he was after any of the tournament stuff. Like he's well, definitely he- got a better grasp on. The, the power for sure that training is paying off. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think Midoriya consistently is one of those people where he needs the action to be happening to learn the lessons he needs to know. Does that yeah, make sense? I could agree with that. Yeah. Because he almost always seems to be right there at the right moment. Like his power, he knows how to control them when he needs to. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. We were just talking about Twitter interactions and one of our listeners, I, th- I believe her name is Marjo or Margo or Marho, if that J is silent. I'm, I'm just butchering your name. I'm so sorry. But I appreciate your interaction because she actually sent us a DM on Twitter um, and answered a couple questions that I guess we had asked um, or, or at least addressed places where we had questions or mysterious, you know, we were like, I don't know. Um, she was like, oh, I do. Uh, let me tell you. And it was, it was kind of cool. We talked back and forth. And one of the things that she had mentioned was that uh, she laid out a timeline and said that, uh, at the time that, that Midoriya, that all this stuff is going on, Midoriya's had the one for all for about three months, like based on this, the months that uh, certain things took place, like the, t- the entrance exam and the festival and all this kind of thing. She said that about three months has taken place. Now, at the same time, she said that about, you know, uh, Almighty Pod episode 12, which had been released. So maybe a little bit more time has passed come this this moment. But uh, I you know, I mean, we're talking about three months or so. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's like three months and a few weeks because that three months would would have ended right before they got their internships because their internships only last a week, don't they? I think so. A week or maybe two. Yeah. So I would think that he's like halfway through his internship at most. Yeah. So but that's um, that's interesting information. I'm glad we have a timeline now. Yeah, and we always, like I said, we, we've said this in episodes before, we really like that interaction. Um, yeah, it's we, really we cool. Get it, we get it on Discord, we get it on Twitter, so you find us on either of those spaces and talk to us. Um, we, we will talk back. We, we, we enjoy that interaction a bunch. So we get, you know, talking about this Midori, he's kind of limping around, clutching his arm a little bit. And of course, um, Gran Torino shows up and he's all pissed off at that Midori left the bus to begin with. Oh, yeah. And, and Midori is apologetic, but, you know, he's doing that whole meddling when nobody you know, ask you two things. So he's, he's doing the hero thing for sure. Yeah. Although they will catch fire for it later. Absolutely. Um, we'll get into that when it comes to episode 31. I did think but, there was a funny scene here. Uh, Ida is crying and Todoroki is like, dude, pull yourself together. You're the class rep. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. He, he knows that Ida is a man of high honor and yeah. that, that element of Ida's character isn't violated or diminished at all with his confrontation with Stain. It is it is because of honor that he had that that um, kind of vengeful attitude towards Stain. So um, Todoroki knows that that's an essential element of who Ida is, that that's a, a good place to push in order to motivate uh, Ida. And so, yeah, he and sure enough, Ida just, you know, snaps back to attention and, and uh, turns the waterworks off and, you know, embodies that that very honorable and respectful uh, Ida that we all know and love. And then we have shortly after that. Uh, a Nomu just snatches up Midoriya, like comes back on the scene. This is the one I think that Endeavor 
threw the fire spear through his eye earlier. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure Endeavor threw that fire spear through his eye. He flew off, and I guess Endeavor assumed he died, but he circles back around, swoops down and grabs Midoriya and takes off with him. And Gran Torino is like, holy cow, he's going so fast. I My quirk won't catch up to him. Um, and as that Nomu flew, flew over, some blood fell away from his eye and like landed on the female hero that was about to get really hurt by that Nomu earlier. Yeah, and so Hero Killer Stain like pulls out a knife. It was it looked like a uh, like a safety knife, and cut his ropes, licks that blood, and the Nomu paralyzes and starts to fall. And uh, Hero Killer Stain jumps on top and kills it. And he says, "Everything I do is to create a stronger society." And he stands up and he's just given all of these heroes like what for you know. And it, they kind of have this interesting scene where. Well, it seems like everyone's almost paralyzed. Like they're no, nobody's yeah. moving, and it it wasn't a matter of his quirk. It was just a matter of like, holy cow, how is this guy still standing? You know, and and then he's going on about how awful heroes are and how they're letting down society. And I think it was just people kind of like soaking it in, you know. Yeah, and in particular, he is targeting down Endeavor. I mean, he yeah. his, uh Stain's mask falls off, and he is straight up calling Endeavor a faker and is advancing slowly towards them noticeably leaving Midoriya behind. So he kills the Nomu, has an, I mean, he's literally got a hand on Midoriya, could very easily take Midoriya out. Midoriya is battle exhausted. Um, but Stain leaves Midoriya behind, and I just have in my notes, it could just be because he has bigger fish to fry um, with, with Endeavor staring him down. But it could also be because he sees in Midoriya what he wants to see in all heroes. And I think that that's kind of validated by some conversation in the next episode where Todoroki makes this this comment to Midoriya and he says, we were obviously left alive on purpose. And and he's talking about by stain. Um, these two young men were, they, they were exemplar heroes. And so stain was kind of hands off with them, or at least that's the sense that I was getting from this particular scene. Yeah, no, I definitely get that sense too. It felt like he saved Midoriya more than like, yes. more than a matter of like, Oh, I'm going to kill this Nomu just because like, it felt like he was very intentionally maybe trying to teach these heroes a lesson. Um, he says some interesting things here. He, he talks about the streets are going to have to run with the blood of hypocrites, and he's going to reclaim the word hero. I mean, it, it, whenever I was watching this, I really thought that he was about to be like, you guys have no one idea how bad Endeavor really is. Like, maybe he does some spy-level work, and, like, maybe that's how he chooses who he's going to kill. You know, maybe Endeavor was next on the list or something. But sadly, he stands up, and all of a sudden he just freezes. And it kind of cuts, and we get this overlay of Midoriya saying, you know, we found out later that uh, Hero Killer Stain uh, appeared to have a broken rib piercing his lung. And so that was the end of this episode. And I don't know, I was like, the ending just kind of fizzled out for me. I was like, eh, all right. Definitely. I My notes are just like in all caps here before getting into episode 31 where I was like, this is not the kind of end that I wanted for Stain. I wanted him to go out into, you know, some sort of blaze of glory and, and do something meaningful and awesome at the end. But it did, it did kind of feel like it fizzled out. But I also in the, at this time, at least thought that he had died when that broken rib pierced his lung. And yeah. that was why I was really upset because I was like, that is the most like 
low-key way for him to go out, and I didn't like that at all. But we we do find out pretty much first thing in the next episode. How often does this happen to us? Like all of the time. It's literally every episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A question that we're like at the end of an episode, we're like, well, gosh, we have this question now, and it's ten seconds into the next step, and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes some sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Stain goes off, and he is the embodiment of a zealot here. I mean, he is all about his cause. He's very convicted, and uh, that that kind of zealousness of his is going to play a major part at the very end of episode thirty one, which is called the aftermath of Hero Killer Stain. Yeah, they uh, they title these pretty appropriately, don't they? Yes, they do. <laughs> well, at the end of episode uh, 30, we do have this quick scene where it shows Shigaraki on top of that tower. He's on some sort of like really tall skyscraper. And he, he makes a mention that things never go the way they're supposed to. And we kind of pick back up at that at the beginning of episode 31. Uh, we get this cool scene where there's this newscast lady. She is uh, She's up in the helicopter and she's like live from the sky of Hosu. And she's kind of covering the scene. And they're about to actually move the cameras away when she's like, no, don't you dare move that camera. Like, turn it back on and they they film over and they actually see Kurogiri and Shigaraki up on this tower uh and that's when it kind of zooms in and Kurogiri asks Shigaraki like how did you feel about the operation you know what did this go the way you wanted it to and he says well it depends on tomorrow's headlines and so you know it's kind of indicative of the idea that like he really is expecting to be the big headline tomorrow on the news like all these Nomu's attacks uh but that's not really what he gets Nope. In fact, there's a scene about midway through the next episode where he's reading these newspapers and he's upset that his work with the Nomus went eclipsed by Stain. And uh, not just by what Stain did or that he was captured, um, but just by the fact that Stain seems to have uh, sparked a revolution or at least a, a, a movement inside of the, the villain uh, community, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit more depth later. But he's he's definitely he's he wants the spotlight, and it it almost feels almost like almost like Bakugo and Midoriya, you know, where Bakugo's got that same kind of mindset. Uh, in fact, I think Shigaraki even says that something like, "Well, we're just a side story talking about in the newspaper," and it made me think of all the times that Bakugo gets upset when somebody calls him a sidekick. Um, so there's a little bit maybe of some shared language around those two characters. I still am of the opinion that Bakugo is going to break bad at some point. Um, uh, those... See, I get the feeling the best genus is going to get him all fixed up, man. I mean, he's certainly doing good work. We're going to talk about that in a second, particularly <laughs> when it comes to his hair. But right, um, yeah, so we, we kind of pick up in this scene in the hospital and... Uh, this guy named Kenji Sugarame walks in, and this is the chief of police. And I'm going to let you take it from here because I, I feel like you're excited to talk about Sugarame. I am. So he shows up with All Might and Gran Torino, and it's kind of interesting because he immediately comes in and he's just this big dog, like, and he 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 ends every sentence with wolf. Like he talks and just says like, "Hello, I'm so 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 and so wolf," <laughs> you know. And so it it confirms that there are these animal people in this world that it is a normal thing. And the cat from last season just so happened to want to be wearing a bell. I have that 
Sugarame has a distinct lack of a collar, so that cat dude was just accessorizing to his heart's content. But at the same time, while he isn't wearing a collar, he is wearing a Dalmatian print tie, which I feel like might be in poor taste. <laughs> that is kind of in poor taste, yeah. <laughs> but I also do you did think really that he appreciate... has a picture of him and all of his friends playing poker in his uh, like oh, in his Lord, office? I hope so. <laughs> like there's just there's just a ton of these dudes who are dog-faced cork people yeah or maybe and he would have a like a, a painting of a bunch of humans smoking cigars and playing poker you know that would be either way would make <laughs> me laugh like now i want to see the inside of his house why did you do this yeah me? i know right um but i did appreciate the fact that when he does end his sentences or the the first sentence with wolf that midoriya like reacts to this and i was like thank god he reacts to this because that's not that's not expected or normal. Like it totally throws Midoriya and he has yeah. like this moment where he was like, Oh my gosh, he just said woof. And that was great. It seems like the people in the show almost have the same, like I'm going to use the word acceptance level of these animal people as we do. Like they don't seem like they're a bunch of them around. You know what I mean? Right. And they all seem, I mean, there is, it's not like when he walks in and has a dog face that they're all like, what, you know, but then there are these little pieces to how they work that shock them like ending sentences with wolf like that feels so literal to Midoriya that he's just like I can't believe he actually did that yeah yeah well so this guy tells them that Stain isn't actually dead uh that I guess he's in like a high security health facility because they're trying to I mean you know they're treating him like a prisoner they're trying to take care of him uh but he does bring up something interesting he says that it's against the law for uncertified people to use their quirks to cause injury to another and that includes these three students uh, because realistically, they're not licensed. Like they were using their, you know, their quirks illegally. And Todoroki gets super pissed off, and he starts to just kind of go off on this guy. And he's, he even calls him a mangy mutt at one point in time. Uh, yeah, which, in the in the uh, subtitled, he just calls him a dog. He doesn't get that dirty, but yeah, I have yeah. in my notes, Todoroki straight up calls him a dog, like to his face. Yeah, I mean, it gets to be pretty bad. Um, I, and you know, it's interesting because Todoroki brings up the idea, like, well, if we hadn't done this, then a bunch of people were going to die. So I can't believe you're going to punish us for this. And I have in my notes that Mr. Pup says it's okay to break the law as long as it goes your way. And I think it's interesting because he even he is almost enforcing what Hero Killer Stain's talking about about like just because you have these powers doesn't mean you can just go out of your way and do whatever you want and hope that it's going to be okay you right. know uh, so it's interesting that these students are consistently being told this by not just other heroes not just their mentors but villains and police officers like literally everybody in their life is like don't do this you have one rule don't break it and what do they consistently do but go after the villains you know yeah and i i really appreciated this scene because these these boys are getting to see a different side of of being a hero and it's not a side that everybody is privy to i mean it's like when people ask me you know you know they joke about what i do for a living as a youth director they're like oh so you just you know play games all day and i'm like well come and do my job with me and i'll show you credit card reports and budgeting and you know all the logistics that i have to organized in order to go on a retreat and all the red you know it's just that there's a lot more to this stuff and, and a lot of it is boring and and administrative and that's kind of what they're seeing that side of this where they're like listen you don't just get to run around and play hero just because you have the ability to there are regulations there are rules and you're beholden to them um, and it was a good it's a good lesson for them to have learned and it, this is a good way for them to have learned it as well because it gets to a point after the argument kind of 
rises in pitch and in heat where uh, the detective just lets him know, listen, you, you guys have a decision to make. You can either take full credit for this and, and gain that renown and suffer a punishment that's requisite with the crime, or you can defer that credit, get none of it. It'll all go to Endeavor, but you guys don't take any punishment yourselves. And he's talking to the students specifically. He does make it very clear that Gran Torino, uh, the hero manual and Endeavor um, are all going to take some sort of punishment because it's, you know, they were in charge essentially of these students. So they don't get to get off scot-free, but these students could based on their decision. Right. Well, and you know, this is where the, the chief of police guys like, you know, this is, this is what I want you guys to do. I'm, I think you guys did great. You know, he kind of compliments them and that calms Todoroki down. He does make an interesting point here though. He says, you know, if you guys do go ahead and decide to accept fault for this and take the blame and also the reward, the public will see you all as heroes. There's no doubt about that, but you all will be punished for it. Like there's no doubt about like, you're not escaping justice for this. Uh, so right. I thought that was interesting that like even even though the public would see them as heroes, they're not about to just let them be an example and show everyone that it's okay to break the rules just because you did the right thing, you know? Yep. So they're they're getting to peek behind the curtain of what it, you know, we we all have this idea of what we think it means to be a hero, and there are elements to this to that puzzle in this world that are that are for those that are in the know. Now they are becoming into that know. They're like, man, there, there are some rules and some, you know, some bureaucracy to this that we didn't anticipate. Well, and some serious consequences. Yeah. Well, so here's an interesting question for you. We know that um, Gran Torino later on gets his teaching license restricted, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But we don't find out what happens to Endeavor and the normal or the manual hero. What do you think their punishments were? I mean, they they're not teachers; they're not like licensed teachers. So, do you think they get their you know quirk card removed for a couple of months or something? Like, is this like a like a driver's license? Like, if you get caught with a DUI, then you can't drive for a year or something like that. Yeah, I thought that I had had a note somewhere that Gran Torino... I, yeah, so here it is. So Gran Torino says that he lost his license and took like a six-month pay cut. And I'm wondering if that was just true across the board. I mean, the penalties could vary, I guess. I mean, do you really take the license of the number two hero? That's what I was I mean, thinking, I, yeah. Like, um, I can understand maybe... You know, okay, so like if the manual hero can't do his work for a couple weeks, like how much crime will there really be that gets away? But you take the number two hero out of that rotation, like that that seems like it would be pretty bad. Yeah. So I, I think the penalties might have varied. We we the only one that we have any like clue towards, I think, is Gran Torino's where he says he lost his teaching license I- and had like a six month dock and pay or some such like this, which is kind of another weird thing to me. Like I know we, we know that the government pays these heroes, but Gran Torino hasn't been a pro hero in probably what, 30 years. So was he just like, is he on um, like retirement or what, you know? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. So there's like a hero 401k plan, right? Like, I mean, I, I would only imagine so that I bet the hero's insurance is like out of the, out the roof if they have it. I feel like we've mentioned this before, but I don't know. I mean, I guess if, uh, uh, kissy lady, what's her name? Medical girl. Yeah, what is it? Recovery, recovery girl. girl. Like if she can just heal them up, maybe they don't have to worry about insurance or something. But uh, yeah, I don't know. She does have limits. So. That's true. That's true. All right, so we get another montage scene right after uh, you know we kind of get away from uh, the dog and and what's going on with the different kids and the their 
respective uh, intern ease, their leaders, I guess. Uh, and we kind of go over and we see some of the other heroes that we've been focusing on for the last season or two. We get uh, the best genist is talking to, I guess, his like group of kids that he's mentoring. Uh, and it looks like Bakugo has a completely new haircut again. And he also, did you notice his costume has changed? Yeah, a little bit. It's a little bit more muted. Yeah, like less... he doesn't have those giant grenades on his hands anymore. Yeah, less spiky bits right. sticking out. Uh, and like, like he looks like he's exploding at the seams in his other costume. Yeah, exactly. And he kind of has this internal monologue where he's like, I have got to get out of here. Um, we see another like scene here with Fourth Kind where he's getting onto Tetsu, uh, Tetsu, 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 and Kirishima for being late. Uh, which I, I really want to know more about Fourth Kind. He seems like he'd be really funny. Like, he seems like a fun hero. Did uh, you notice that Tetsu on the side of his headgear has FE written over like one of the ear holes, which is the like periodic element, the periodic table for symbol iron. for iron? Yeah. He, he also has a kanji somewhere on his gear, and I wouldn't be surprised if that kanji also said iron because that's literally what his name is four times. And now he's got it on his ear bit. So there's, I, I would, if I were a betting man, which I am on occasion, I would bet that whatever that kanji is on his suit also says iron because it's Tetsu, 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 Tetsu. You're probably right. I wonder if he has to, because we know that he relies on like iron efficiency within his body. I wonder if he takes like massive iron pills every morning. <laughs> it could be. Those are available. Yeah. I, and I, I know some folks that have to take those for medical reasons. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm willing to bet that he does. Like everything, he probably has a very strict uh, regiment for what he eats, I bet, to make sure he gets enough iron because it sounds like his power doesn't work otherwise. Yeah. Uh, then we also get to see Momo and the other hero. Her name is Kendo. Uh, they're in a commercial with Snake Lady hero Uobami. Uh, and then, you know, after they film this commercial, they're really excited because she's finally like, okay, well, let's go on patrol. I'll take you guys out. Um, so, you know, they're finally getting to go out and actually do hero things instead of just filming commercials. Do you remember in episode 12 of our podcast, we joked uh, after the scene with Bakugo brushing his teeth? We joked about the idea of heroes endorsing things like toothpaste. Yeah. That's exactly what is going on in this scene. Like the hero Momo's working for is all about that endorsement life. Oh, in yeah. In this particular scene, she's like filming a, a commercial for hairspray. So they totally do that. She's like, I bet she would be an Instagram influencer. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. hundred uh, percent. And then it kind of ends here with Midoriya checking in with the Chaco. And it's really fun. They're on the phone together, kind of just catching up. Uh, and then I, I want to say that a Chaco's, um, the person she's interning with is named Gun Hands. But I think I'm getting him and Death Hands mixed up. Uh, I th No, he is the one that... Is he, he like Murder Machine or something like that? No, he's, he's Gun... It's not gunhead, gunhead, gunhead. Gun yeah, he's still. That's still pretty. Yeah, I was. I was kind of close there. Uh, yeah. But he comes over and he's like, "Are you talking to a boy?" And she gets all blushed and embarrassed. And then uh, they hang up. And Midoriya is like, "Oh my god, I just talked to a girl, and it was like she was whispering in my ear." You know, <laughs> their relationship so, cracks me up. In the sub, does does she just say? Does she say anything in response to Gunhead's question? I think she says something like, "Oh, it was yeah, it was just a friend or something like that." Okay, yeah, in the in the subtitles, it's straight up, she's like, he asks, is that your boyfriend? Or, and it's something much more direct, and she denies that he's her, that the person that she's on the phone with is her boyfriend. Uh, to yeah. the male that, like, for the first couple scenes that we see her around him, she's she's totally crushing on him. She's like, he looks so cute, he talks so cute. So he's she's got an attraction to her teacher right now. Definitely. 
But yeah, Midori is just happy to have spoken words to a girl, but which he's done multiple times at this point. But, you know, some sometimes it's just a little bit more special than others. Well, apparently. it's been like a week or so. So, you know, that's true. That's true. They hadn't seen each other in a minute. And she t- who called who do you did you get a sense of who called whom? Like, was it Midoriya that rang her? Or, I kind of got the feeling that it was Midoriya that rang her because she seemed like she was in the middle of something like they were about to go on a run or go on patrol. And she yeah, was the that one that had to fair. go. So I assumed that he called her and was like, hey, what's going on? You know, but yeah, well, I don't know. Hey, get, get it, Midoriya. I'm right? proud of you, boy. Yeah. Also, I, during this montage, there's a little bit of uh, visitation on some villains, one of whom we know, Shigaraki. This is when he's reading the newspaper. We talked about that already. But they also kind of show these really quick snippets of two other characters. We don't know who they are, but just by merit of them showing up now and us getting these weird like very fast glimpses of them, it probably lends itself it lends itself to the idea that they're going to be a part of the show probably sooner rather than later. Both of these two that we see here, at least, we do see again at the end of this episode, which just validates that further. But there's one dude who looks like his face has been stitched up. I just have him as Jack Skellington faced. He kind of looks like if you've ever seen the Hellraiser movies. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the things is they have to like consume so much like material like flesh and stuff and then they can kind of regrow their own skin he kind of looks like he's in the halfway like halfway point of that and i i realized too as i was jotting down my notes about this guy that i had i totally lived out a moment that is a meme you know that meme where there's the dude walking with the girl and he's like looking back over his left shoulder <laughs> oh yeah the girl yeah yeah, so yeah. I, I i feel like i lived that that meme where I was walking with the girl who is staying and then this other <laughs> character shows up and I was just like, who's this guy? I want to know. That's awesome. So I, I felt bad. I felt like I had, uh, I, I cheated on staying a little bit in the scene. Cause I was like, Oh, I want to know everything about this guy right now. He was the guy that kind of looked like one of the Titans from attack on Titan. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Just as, yeah. His like facial structure and aesthetic was kind of like that. Then yeah. there's like this girl who's just randomly skipping rope in like a schoolgirl outfit. And that scene is literally that long. It's like, half a second or a second and then it's gone um but it's like that's not a random scene they're introducing there there's planting seeds with this stuff here and it's p- kind of part of this quick montage stuff before we return back to the uh, hospital rooms right and, and you know we get back into the hospital and we find out some kind of awful information i guess about Ida. it turns out that his hand is going to be permanently damaged. And it seems like it's the hand when uh, he first showed up on scene, Hero Killer Stain just really whooped his ass and, and like stabbed his hands down into the ground, like left his swords in them. Um, so we find out that he is going to be permanently damaged. And there's kind of a nice bonding moment here with Midoriya because Midoriya is like, yeah, I've, I've got the same issue. Like I was trying to be better. I was trying to get better and, and mature. And my hand is also going to be you know permanently <laughs> right. damaged uh and then we, we also get some kind of like interesting flashbacks here with hero killer stain we, we find out a little bit more about him yeah there's a whole lot going on as this episode winds down so one of the things like Ida even has a name like the doctors have told him what his condition is that causes his left hand to have this permanent damage and it's he called it brachial plexus which is like a cluster of nerves up in your shoulder. And it, it's where hero killer stain drove that sword down through his shoulder when he was lying on his stomach. Um, and that's a network of nerves that sends signals down to your, down your shoulder and arm and to your hand. So he's going to have a hard time moving hands and fingers. And he's going to have some numbness there. And it's kind of interesting too, because he says 
Ida says that until I become a good hero, I think I want to keep my hand as it is because they already start, the boys start talking about, well, there are some things that they can do like nerve transplants. But Ida says, until I become a good hero, I think I want to keep my hand as it is, which is kind of like a self-inflicted punishment. It's, it's the way that he's kind of going to live with or bear his guilt for some amount of time is by keeping this, this injury that he earned uh, acting in a in a way that isn't in line with what he now believes is heroic, even though, uh, you know, in that moment, if he was thinking clearly at all, he might have thought that what he was doing was heroic. But now maybe he's been course corrected a little bit, um, specifically by Todoroki a lot as well. Yeah, we get this awesome ending scene here where Todoroki says, I feel bad when I get involved. Someone's hand gets messed up. Yeah, and this is great. Ida and Midoriya think that's the funniest thing. And they're like, oh, come on, stop joking around. And he goes, no, I'm not joking. You could call me the hand crusher. And we zoom out you know, from the hospital and everyone's laughing. And I, I thought that was great because you can kind of tell that Todoroki's not joking. Uh, but Hiro, like, it, it just seems like Midoriya and Ida don't really know how to take it. Yeah, Todoroki's... He's- performing some really bad implied causality here. And I just have in my notes, I was like, I, I honestly can't tell if he's joking because of his delivery. But up to this point in the series, we've only ever seen Todoroki be really serious. So I, I think I'd err on the side of, like he's genuinely concerned that he's a danger to his friend's hands. And he just wants people to know about it, um, which is which is super funny. Yeah. And there's there's also this line too, um, real quick before we move on to, to the next scene, where Ida is talking about Stain, and he says, I hate him, but he spoke the truth. And that just reminded me of this. Um, you ever heard of the podcast Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men? Yeah, I've heard you mention it a few times. I love that. I love that podcast so much. And they, they have shirts for sale, and one of them is uh, Magneto made some valid points. And it, <laughs> it re- When he said, I hate him, but he spoke the truth, I was like, I have put down in my notes, it's Magneto made some valid points, except it's my hero academia. And that, that made me laugh, too. That's really funny. I like that. Uh, well, I got to say, we go into the scene where I have found that I need a new ringtone because all me too. All my I had the same idea. Yeah, all mine's getting a phone call, and it just says a phone call is here. A phone call is here, like over and over and over. So he answers it, and it's Gran Torino, and I kind of felt like Gran Torino called him to chew him out. He was like, "Why didn't you warn me about this Midoriya fellow? Like he's gotten me in so much trouble." <laughs> Yeah, I have in my notes that last episode I changed my phone's background, and this episode I'm changing my ringtone. Because it, what makes it even funnier is it isn't just any voice saying a phone call is here. It's, it's his all voice <laughs> saying a phone call is here. That's his ringtone, I, and it made me laugh. I like to think that he like specially recorded that for himself. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, no one definitely. else has it. This isn't an available ringtone. Like he has it. <laughs> I want somebody in our in our listeners to make this ringtone and send it to us because I or I'm gonna make it and make it available somehow oh, because I bet it's out it there. is it is glorious. Yeah, I bet it's out there. We're gonna have to find it for sure. Uh but we have an interesting conversation here. You know, Gran Torino basically gets to the point where he's explaining to All Might that like, look, you know, I'm really worried about there being a lot of copycat villains. Like this stain guy is you're identical when it comes to your, you know, symbol of peace. He's like this symbol of reformment for heroes, basically. And the news is blowing up about him. I mean, everybody is talking about hero killer stain. And he's literally going viral. Yeah, it is. It's something else. And Gran Torino makes a really good point. He talks about how somehow Stain and the League of Villains are connected. And he thinks that the League of Villains probably 
thought that this is how things would go and allowed it to get to this point. And he actually mentions that he believes whoever is leading the League of Villains is uh, a genius tactician. Um, and, and, you know, this is when All Might mentions that he's worried uh, that a man is back that had killed someone named Shimaru, who is the uh, seventh owner of One for All and is the same guy that opened up the hole in his stomach. And so I yeah. guess they're talking about this that nasty, like, you know, spot that he's got. Um, Gran Torino mentions that All Might's super afraid of this guy, this villain named One for All. So they're talking about a villain named One for All and him being on the rise again. So this is kind of an interesting development here. We we get maybe All Might's 100% foil character, you know, like a villain that has a similar powers to him, I guess. Your your streak of being not so great with names continues. So oh, one for all <laughs> is the name of Midoriya's is the name of the power that's passed around. All for one is the name of the villain that they're talking about. Uh, here. I've got in my notes one for all is on the rise again. Yep, that's my bad. So his name You're is done messed up. His name is all for one. All for one. Okay. So he's the, he literally, it sounds like almost the exact opposite. Uh, yeah. I wonder if he has the ability to absorb other people's quirks. Kind of like that one student, except maybe on a more permanent basis or something. I think we're drawing ever near to finding out what this guy's actually capable of. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking like one for all kind of makes it sound like one power for all people. Like this is going to be something we're giving to everybody or everyone could receive it. All for one makes it seem like the exact opposite. Like I'm going to take everything myself. Well, that would make some sense given their suspicions about how the Nomus worked, that he was able, if his quirk is to bestow quirks, like to spread that out, um, then that would make some sense. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. There's there's something up with All Might, I think, though, because Gran Torino tells him, like, you have to tell Midoriya the truth and everything about your powers, this villain, and the seventh one for all owner. Like, you, you can't keep this from him anymore. So there's definitely something going on with All Might, man. Oh, 100%. And Gran Torino is seeing, like, a much bigger picture uh, ahead of this particular revelation. And this is a big revelation, um, not just for this moment, but for the show up to this point. This answers a lot of the questions that you and I have kind of been spitballing and, and fiddling with for a while about, you know, who, how some of this story has played out and who that person is that really did this damage to them and, and all this kind of things. And we get a definitive answer here. Um, and Gran Torino is, again, he's he's worried about this this philosophy of stains as it's going viral and inspiring all these copycats. I, I have in my notes that it just it's it's very much the plot of the Dark Knight, except in the Dark Knight it was people copycatting the hero, and in this they're copycatting uh, a villain. Um, but we do start to get once we get the all for one. I mean, they kind of throw that name out and then switch gears real fast. Yeah, they, and, they are so good at just teasing you a little bit. You know what I mean? Yes, definitely. And they they go back to stain. They shift that. They say all for one, and it's like, boom, back to Stain being like Stain flashbacks. And I had mentioned this to you off air, but I, I don't think I ever said it during a recording. I had, I had expressed a suspicion to you that I thought that Stain might have been a hero at some point or was involved in a hero school, and that's that does 
is proven true here. He gets, yeah, he's part of a school. He's like a freshman, I would suppose. Well, and it's kind of a weird setup too, because it seems like it's like these two black market villains that are like hanging out drinking together, and we don't even know their names. They don't appear to be relevant, but one of them is like, "Hey, have you seen this video about Hero Killer Stain?" And it's like a YouTube video or something, and it seems like the news has done this, like, hey, "Who was this guy?" And then yeah. we see this video of him, like, way back in the day. Uh, as a kid going into like enrolled in a private hero school. So you hit the nail on the head, man. You were right on with that. I just wish I had been right on air. That would have been nice you know, for that to have happened one time. I feel, to be right I feel like I heard you say episode. it on air. I, I, I feel like I did, but you know, it's been a couple weeks. So it's kind of neat that they, they flesh stain out a little bit more. I still think that he's a super intriguing character and this. This just makes that all the more true from my perspective. Definitely. We learned that he's, he was disillusioned. Uh, as a, as a hero in training at this school where he is seeing the system again it's kind of like you know but behind the scenes let's take a peek behind the curtain and he gets disillusioned by the way that heroes are working and he, he tries to address the problem by with his words initially yeah he, he tries to take almost like a street preacher approach to this well, to solving this and they say it doesn't work Right, and they say that uh, he felt like his voice was unheard, and so for 10 years he trained his body to become the ultimate killing machine. Uh, and I guess during this time his parents passed away in some sort of tragic accident, um, which is interesting here. You know, I, they, they mentioned that he was inspired by All Might. I wonder if that tragic... I wonder if that tragic accident is this fight between All Might and All for One. Uh, but I guess we'll, mm. we'll probably find out pretty quick. Uh, Probably at the very beginning of the next episode. Yeah, but he mentions like the whole thing for Hero Killer Stain is that he wanted to return to the good old days, where he didn't think heroes needed compensation of any kind. Like heroes were to heroes were heroes to be heroes, basically. You know, like there right. was. And I think that's probably why he loves All Might so much because All Might really does have that sense of like being a symbol of peace and always showing up with a smile. Like he has this whole ideology of being a hero that a lot of other people don't have a lot of, a lot of these heroes seem like it's just kind of their day job. Correct. And, and he's, we're, we're shown that this isn't like a late breaking development in Stain's ideology. He had a problem with this basically at his hero inception with his first exposure to what being a hero entails and what it would look like. Um, so it's, it's, it's germinated in him and that's why he is the zealot that he is. This isn't some brand new idea. This is something that's, that's been stewing in him for 10 years or more. And that's, that's a pretty cool character development moment for a guy who, at least for the time being, probably is kind of off panel for a while, but his influence is very much on panel. Um, as this episode kind of closes down with some scenes of like various, presumably villainous people making their way towards the League of Villains. We see, of course, a Jack Skellington guy again. We see the schoolgirl, except this time there's like a bloody body behind her. Um, you had mentioned a couple others that you saw. Yeah, I've got her written down. She she reminds me kind of Harley Quinn. Uh, there's kind of like a Harley Quinn-esque feel to her. Uh, there's a guy that I said looked like a Titan. Uh, there's like this weird werewolf kind of looking dude. Um, I, I couldn't really... He was in uh, like a forest. It was dark out, I think. Uh, there was a guy wearing a gas mask, and it looked like he had just gassed a bunch of people. So that guy looks like he's got a really crazy quirk. Uh, and then I have pink-haired green dude. So whatever that means... Uh, I think he was, we, we, you and I ended up looking him up and he kind of looked like a hero killer stain copycat, except he was a oh, lizard. Yeah. So he's taken the copycat thing to the next level. Cause he's, he's kind of decked out with 
He looks like a hero killer staying cosplayer, only he's a lizard man instead of a human. Yeah, like if Raphael from the Ninja Turtles decided to cosplay hero killer stain. Yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah, so I'm interested in seeing what these guys do. Um, any takes on what their powers might be? Uh, no, not yet. I mean, at yeah. this point, if if we were guessing, it would be there, there's like not much to go on. I mean, besides with the gassy dude, maybe. Yeah, um, I feel like so, the Harley Quinn girl. Uh, we don't know her name yet, but I want to say she was using like a yo-yo or something, or like a top spinner. I, like I feel like she had some random piece of tech that made me wonder if she was, you know, using them like the villains in DC Universe or Marvel or something. Yeah. Well, I'm excited because this is certainly an influx of new villains. Yeah. And it's going to kind of be, you know, this, we, we get to meet new new people with new quirks and and now we get to smash more action figures together, which is, you know, it's, it's part of what we're here for. We like that stuff. We Definitely. like the fights. I will say this, this something I've noticed about this show is, is it it has a really fast pace to it. Like they almost don't spend more than what, six episodes on one storyline. Like it feels really fleshed out. You know what I mean? Yeah, they do. They move along at a pretty good, a pretty fast clip, and the manga does as well. But um, at the end of this episode, after the credits roll, there's a they start talking about what's going on next, and the voiceover in the dub, or in the subtitled rather, says that this next episode is an anime original, and that sounds to me that just says filler. Um, and I don't have the next manga vol- uh, volume to like look ahead and see if if they're really going off book. But h- how else do you interpret anime original? So I'm I, I I'm hesitant about that. I'm apprehensive about that. But up to this point, you know, it's been 31 episodes of completely on book and completely awesome. So there's no reason for me to be like totally writing off episode 32 yet right um so I'm, I'm curious to to see what it has to bring and how it does or doesn't match up with the with the manga and, and probably spend some time in the next episode talking about that yeah i'm definitely interested i mean I'm, i've kind of always been at the philosophy that not all filler is bad only bad filler is bad if that makes sense yeah uh, that makes sense i mean i don't get me wrong there is nothing but filler in most of the old 90s dragon ball z however watching oh, piccolo Lord, yes. and goku get their driver's license is one of my favorite episodes so you know, like I'm interested in seeing if this is filler, but it's fun filler. I just don't care. You know, that just means there's more of a TV show that I absolutely love. Definitely, I could. Filler has its merits, but it has to be done well. And I'm I'm anxious to see if this is actually filler, like yeah, off book, right? Because it may how not well be. they do it. I get the yeah. feeling they'll do it well. So far, they've handled everything incredibly well in this show. I've not been disappointed yet. Correct. Well, and this is again a thing where we we leave off an episode with questions. That are going to be answered immediately. As soon as we end this phone call, as soon as we hit stop on the recording, we're probably both going to go watch episode 32 and we'll just go, oh, okay, that answers that. Yeah, I don't know how many times we've gone home and watched an episode or two and I've thought about messaging you and just being like, well, all the everything we said in that last episode was either false or immediately answered. <laughs> we continue to be morons. Yeah, I don't know. We haven't gotten any answers on whether or not the principal is a villain yet, so I'm still waiting on that one. It remains to be seen, but I wouldn't hold my breath if I were you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that'll do us for this week, man. Yes, it was fun. As always, still very much looking forward to next week's episode, even with my minor apprehensions in hand. So I hope that you will continue to listen and watch along, tune in, 
tag us on Twitter, talk to us on Twitter, join us on the Discord, all that fun stuff. We're available. We like talking at you. Definitely, and definitely. Those, those fan interactions have actually added uh, content to the show, which is even better. Yeah, it's always great having people reach out to tell us, you know, either how wrong we were about something and that it made their day, or even that it was just like, hey, here's some additional information upon what you already guessed right. So I love that kind of stuff. Keep um, it coming. Yeah, if you enjoy the show, follow us on Twitter, leave us an iTunes review, and enjoy your week. Almighty Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpationetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at backpationet or at Almighty Pod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.